Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. So good to be back in God's house one more time. And uh, I always love studying about this tabernacle. And I tell you what this has done. This has helped me probably more than it has you. Because as I've delved into all of these different parts of the furniture and parts of the tabernacle, um, through the years we've talked about it and taught it and preached it, but you, you have a tendency not to dig into it that deep, but when you're studying for it, for Bible study, especially in these four weeks now that we've been going on, every little detail, wow, becomes important and relates to something in our New Testament uh, dispensation. I'm glad for the, the word of God. It is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. So tonight we're beginning in chapter four, I'm sorry, lesson four, and I will keep in mind that uh, you've been without food for a couple of days. And now the pastors got up here and said, soon as I can get done, you can go eat. I'm feeling pressure. But, uh, but I'm one of those that's going to get to eat too, so I'll, I'll just uh, hurry up, okay? But I, I'm, I've got to obey my pastor, and he told me in the prayer room, he said, don't, don't rush through it. Just take your time. So if I do, you can blame him for that, all right? Our, our lesson tonight is on the sanctuary. Uh, we talked last week about the table of showbread. And that was one of the, when you enter into the sanctuary, and that is, everybody remember that the, the outer court went around the sanctuary, and the sanctuary is this, if you look down here, you can see it. This is all the outer court. This is where the brazen altar and the laver were. And this is the sanctuary, and it's divided into two rooms. One is called the holy place, and one is called the holy of holies. In the holy place, this is what we're talking when we say sanctuary. In the holy place was the, when you walked in, it always faced east. Whenever they camped, they put it in the center of all the camp, and it always, the entrance to it faced to the east. So when you walk in, you're heading west. When you turn to the right, to the north, was the table of showbread. And you remember how we talked about that, that in that bread, it represented the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ. And in his face, we see the glory of almighty God, for he was God manifest in the flesh. On the left side, now this is where we're going to enter into tonight, which would be the south side of the sanctuary. There was a candle, what we would call the golden candlestick. It actually wasn't a candlestick. It was actually lamps. They weren't wax. They were fed. They, the fire came through olive oil that was beaten. So we're going to talk about all that tonight, and then I'm going to try to get to the other two pieces of furniture, the one being right in the center of the sanctuary on the outside of the veil from the Holy of Holies, which is the altar, golden altar of incense. And then we're going to enter into the Holy of Holies and talk for a few minutes in closing about the Ark of the Covenant. 
Our key scripture tonight is, and as it has been every night, is Hebrews 8 and 5. Concerning the priesthood, they served unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. How many of you know God has a reason for everything that he does, every measurement, every piece of material, everything about it, all through the word of God. And we find these shadows and examples and types and patterns all through the word of God concerning our salvation from the Ark of the Covenant all the way to the Ark of Noah, uh, all the way to every prophet, everything that was prophesied about, all pointed to the day of restoration of all things, which was going to be through Jesus Christ. God, manifest in the flesh, come to redeem us from our sins. So we are showing this as a model, as a type, as a shadow, as a pattern of our worship. It also is a type and pattern of our salvation. And uh, we won't get into all of that part of it again because we've gone over it several times already. But beginning now as we enter into the sanctuary, remember there was no light, no artificial light in the sanctuary. It was totally boarded up on the inside. It was closed up by a veil on the front and a veil that separated it from the Holy of Holies. And then the skins, three layers of skins that were on top of it so there were no windows there was no way for light to get in so in order for the priests to do their service unto God God ordained that they build a golden candlestick so looking now in Exodus 25 and 31 32 and I think we ought to just um, thank our our crew that worked so diligently back there in audio and video for all the work that they do because we send in probably 20, 30 scriptures and they get it all worked together in pictures and throwing the word of God up there for us. And that's a blessing. So we thank them tonight for all the good work that they do every night. Exodus 25 and 31 says, and thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made his shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it. Three branches of the candlestick out of the one side and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. So if they would insert the picture right now of the candlestick, uh, picture they say is worth a thousand words. If you notice that there is, it said there would be a shaft. This is the center part. And then three branches on the left side and three branches on the right side. Now this candlestick, or actually to be more accurate, to be called a lampstand, was one of the, and I think the only part of the sanctuary that was not measured we don't know the size of it. The Bible does not give the size of the candlestick. 
But it does say how much it weighed. Now this, get ready to, you know, get astonished a little bit because I did a little figuring. It's 75 talents. I'm sorry. It was one talent of gold, which translates to 75 pounds in our English measure. And if you can kind of figure real quick, gold is selling right now for around $1,700 an ounce. So 75 pounds of gold went into this candlestick, into the snuff bowls and the censers and the, uh, the tongs that were all used to keep the lamp trimmed. 75 pounds of gold on today's scale, in today's market, is right at $2 million. A lot of... <laughs> A lot of church buildings themselves don't cost that much. But for one piece of furniture in the sanctuary, this was not overladen like most of the other furniture was. It was not wood with uh, gold plates or, or overladen in gold. This was solid gold. Uh, there was a man named Hiram that was very skilled in labor as a goldsmith. And God spoke to Moses and told him to make, let this man build it, but that it will not be in pieces. It will be worked and beaten until it was shaped. Gold is a soft metal, and so it was not, it didn't have to go into a forge. However, I might add that gold, when it does go in the fire, only gets purer. <laughs> but this was solid, pure gold. And it was beaten to the shape that you see, very similar to that. We don't know if that's exactly the shape. I've seen it in different other types of shapes. I'm going to add a, a little commentary of Carson in here, okay? Because when the oil went into this vessel, uh, I like it because it says it was, there was a shaft and then there were branches on either side. And I personally believe, now if you can tell me if I'm wrong, if somebody show me that I'm wrong, I'll, I'll tell you I'm wrong. But I personally believe, the Bible doesn't say this, but I personally believe there was this main shaft was hollowed out until it would hold oil that was poured in there. And then it would flow in unison into the six branches that are there. The, the Jews still use this in their synagogues. They use it in their homes. It's called a menorah. And it's probably one of the most famous uh, symbols of Judaism. But um, I'm saying that because, not just because I thought it sounded good. I, I said that because Jesus himself, remember every part of this tabernacle, all these furnitures, everything relates back to Jesus Christ. He's our high priest. He is our, our uh, bread of life. He is the light of the world. Hallelujah. He, he is the, the laver that you see, the water that washes our sins away. He is the sacrificial lamb on the altar. Everything points to him. So Jesus himself said, I am the branch or the vine and ye are the branches. 
So in relation to this, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but he also said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Then he turned around and said, and ye are the light of the world. Why? Because of the oil, which represents the Holy Ghost, when God was filled, uh, when he poured out his spirit, Holy Ghost came upon Jesus uh, uh, when he was baptized in the form of a dove. And then he said, this same spirit's going to come into you. And so we are part of the light of the world today of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but the oil that comes from God Almighty himself, his Holy Spirit is that shaft that gives us the light because the oil flows from God right into you and me when we're filled with the Holy Ghost. And so I don't think personally that that each little uh, branch had to be lit and each little cup or bowl as they called it and it was all decorated with knolls and flowers and almond blossoms because all of that represented life and um, I don't think that they had to just fill each one of these things with oil I believe they filled the main shaft and it flowed if you can see how it would because of gravity itself up into each one of the branches and um this is also debatable, what I'm about to say, and I'm, I'm going to get all this other stuff out of the way, and then we'll get right into what the Word says. But this, this is some, some of my feeling. I've read on where that this lamp was to never go out. And then I've, I've read where uh, every, the job of the priest every morning and every evening was to come in, and they would light the, uh, the wicks in the evening, and they would burn all night. And then in the daytime, they would also go through that order. But there had to be a time when they would snuff out the wicks and, uh, and trim them. Now, I personally believe, and, and I, I, I haven't found it in the Bible, but I, I have read where some commentators said that it didn't burn during the daytime, that it only burned at night. Well, we got to remember this was inside a, a room where there was no light. So the priest had to minister in the day and in the night. And so I believe that it was, when the Bible said it was to burn continually, I believe it meant day and night. Now, what happened when they had to trim the wicks? I, this is just, I haven't found how they did it, but this is my feeling on it. That, that main shaft, that light kept burning while they were trimming all the other wicks and adding more oil or whatever they had to do to those and, and take the snuff dishes and take the ashes from the old wicks off and replace it when the wicks ran out. And that uh, once that was done, then that, that light in the middle began, they light, lit all of the rest of them from that. And uh, I thank the Lord because our God never sleeps. He never slumbers. So I've got a little bit of, uh, of reasoning behind that. We may sleep and slumber at times, and we may have to trim our wicks and all of that, but God's fire never goes out. God's, God's light shines continually. Even during what we call the dark ages, during the time when it looked like uh, there was such a, uh, a backslidden 
position that so many Christians had taken and people that had walked away from God and apostasy had crept in and false doctrine and all the other kind of religions in the world that denounced Christianity. Um, after the early revival and great move of God the first two or three centuries, then there was the introduction of the Trinitarian doctrine, the changing of baptism out of the name, uh, the doing away with the, the true gospel. But I believe even during all that time, the light never went out. I believe there was a light shining somewhere and people were still receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, still being baptized in Jesus' name, still seeing miracles done. It may not have been, it, the, the light might have gotten dim at times, but it never went out. It never went out. So the golden candlestick was a very important part, an item within the holy place. It was made of a solid piece of beaten gold and it was very costly. We mentioned that price. It was composed of the shaft and the branches which uh, point to Jesus being the vine and we are the branches. On the ends of the branches were lamps. Then finally there was the oil for the lamps. It was in the light from the candlestick or from the lampstand that the priest performed his duties before God for there was no natural light in the tabernacle. Reminded me of the beginning. Before there was the natural light of the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth was void and full of darkness and darkness covered the face of the deep, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And the spirit of the Lord, as soon as there's light, watch what happened. Spirit and the water get together. <laughs> and the Bible said, and the spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the water. And God said, let there be light. There, that light uh, was working in God's mind and in his plan of eternal salvation, even way back then, that God was going to, through the water and through the spirit, through baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, he was going to bring light of the gospel into this world and people would be saved. But there was no sun, there was no moon, there was no stars, there was just pitch darkness. Everything was chaos until the light came. God said, let there be light. And when the light came, it was not a natural light. It was supernatural light, the glory of God. We'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into that Holy of Holies because it was also a dark room that had no windows and doors and uh, there, was no, there was not even a candlelight in there. So how did they do what they had to do? We'll talk about that when we get to it, all right? All we know of the candlestick is its weight, its general appearance, but we know nothing of its dimensional characteristics. And as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is unique because there's no limitations on God. Hallelujah. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's, he's all powerful. He's always everywhere and he knows all things. There's no limit. Is there anything the Bible said too hard for God? With man, one scripture said it's impossible. But with God, 
Somebody say, with God. With God, all things are possible. He not only is unlimited and unrestricted, but his value, you think about a, that little piece of furniture there costing two, uh, uh, $2 million. But I'm telling you, $2 million couldn't even make a down payment on Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Bible says that he is his value. I, I like what Song of Solomon said. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? I'll tell you what he is. He is the great I am. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. There, there may be lords many and gods many. There's only one Lord God and hero Israel. The Lord our God is that one Lord. No wonder he is so precious. The Bible tells us in the end time there would be one Lord and his name one. We sing the song, Precious Jesus. We sing about the name. We talk about the name, teach about the name, preach about his name. But I'm telling you, uh, the thing that makes that name so precious, it is the one and only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Without the name of Jesus, there's no salvation. We've got to have that name. When you're baptized, that's why if you have not been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, if that pastor or that preacher or that evangelist or whoever it was baptized you did not take you down in the authority and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then that water had no significance, no power, no ability to wash away your sins. But when we go down in the name of Jesus, it's not just water, it's water and blood. The blood of Jesus is applied to wash your sins away. And that, that water, that dunking, has no effect whatsoever if the name is not applied to it. It's like having a check that's not signed I could give somebody a million dollar check tonight. But I ain't going to dare sign it. <laughs> you could say, oh, Brother Carson gave me a million dollar check. Yeah, go, go try to cash that. Go see if it's any good down to bank it without a signature. And I, I got news from my check. Even if I signed it, it still wouldn't be any good. <laughs> But I know the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all the silver and gold is his. And he, he thinks as much about gold as to make streets out of it. Hallelujah. We're just going to walk around on streets of gold and walls of jasper and gates of pearl. All of that cannot even come close to the fathomless value that Jesus Christ is to the church and to us. The incarnate word is immeasurable. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, full of grace and truth. Truly, Jesus, the light of the world, is priceless. Peter put it like this. We were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. In John, the first chapter, and I, I apologize to our uh, scripture 
projectors back there uh, because I gave you verse six through 10, but I, I want to back up just a little bit and, and get into verse four and five also. Okay. Matter of fact, yeah, let's look at, let's look at both of those verses. Verse four said in him was life and the life was the light. Everybody say the life is in the light. There could be no life created on earth until God first created light. And then when he put the sun and moon and the stars in there, he did that for light also. And without the light of the sun, we'd be like Mars or Jupiter or somewhere else because God put it just the right distance from us and, and rotated the earth just the right amount of time to give us day and night and to keep us alive. Without that sun, we couldn't have crops. We couldn't have food. We couldn't live. We couldn't breathe. God does all things well. No wonder he, he did it all and he looked down and said, it's good. It's good. The light in him was life and the life was the light of men. Now remember who we're talking about here. This is Jesus. John starts his gospel off by saying, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the world. The world was made by him. The world knew him not. You know, all of this. Then verse 14 said, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. But now going on to verse five, he said that he is that light that shineth in darkness. He said the light shined in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. The word comprehend there is from the Greek word that means to lay hold of or make one's own. I'm going to tell you, it's not enough just to see the light. The light is his word. The word is the truth. So when Hank Hank Williams wrote that old song, I saw the light, I saw the light, no more darkness, no more night. I got news for you. You got to do more than just see the light. Because the light represents the word of God. The word of God was made flesh. The word of God is what brings us the gospel. We'll talk about that in a minute. The death, burial, and resurrection. We obey the gospel by dying out to sin in repentance, going into the water, baptized in Jesus' name, and being buried with him in Christ and resurrecting to walk in newness of life through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. So not only must we see the light, we, not, we must obey it the light the Bible said in Jesus day when he was on the earth many of the priests and many of the Jews believed him but because of their fear of men and fear of being put out of the synagogue would not confess him therefore they would not obey him so understanding this that the light was there in the darkness, but the darkness would not comprehend it. I won't say they could not. I'm simply saying they would not embrace Jesus as the light of the gospel. They would not embrace the message that Jesus came to preach of salvation. So that's going to be important in just 
really in some other scriptures we're going to bring in this evening to understand why you must embrace and take a hold of the truth and, and love the truth. The Bible said in this end time, there will be a lot of people, you know, we hear folks quote the scripture, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But I'm telling you only if you obey the truth, because just knowing the truth is like seeing the light. You can see the light and still not do anything about it. You can hear the word of God and still be doer, un, un, unfruitful hearers only of the word and not doers of the word. We can, we can uh, love the, uh, know the truth and believe the truth and see the truth and still not do what the truth says. But if we love the truth... I believe we'll do it. That's what Jesus said. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Obey the truth. So the scripture said in this end time that God would send a strong delusion to those who receive not a love of the truth. Folks, not only do we need to see the light, we need to embrace it, hold on to it, make it our own. Come on, get married to it, hallelujah, till death do us part, and then it won't part us either. We'll go up with it, hallelujah. But there was a man sent from God, verse 6, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He is, everybody say, the true light. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Now I'm going to bring in this scripture that shows you why it's so important that we cling to this. And I didn't write this one down either, so forgive me if you can find it real quick. It's 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, and verse 3. And it says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. How can our gospel be hid when it is the light of the world? The Bible calls this the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can it be hid in the midst of it shining all over this world? Because the devil wants to blind the minds of people lest they see the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In whom the God of this world, that's Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Now notice what's going to cause your mind to be blinded just because somebody said, well, how many of you know we were all blind at one time? Yeah. Well, why did some of us see the light and obey it and embrace the truth and others did not? Why was it revealed to some and to others it was hidden? Because the Bible said he blinded the minds of them which believe not. How important is it tonight that we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? How important is it? We must, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So he blinds the minds of them which believe not lest the light 
of the glorious gospel. Notice this is where the light is. It is the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them. Sad that there are some people that simply refuse to believe this gospel. Whether they blame it on, well, my, my parents didn't believe like this or my grandparents didn't believe like this or uh, our family's always been this denomination or that denomination. I'm gonna tell you, when God reveals the light to you, you need to believe it and say, thank you, Jesus, that my mind is not blinded anymore, that I can see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Woo, thank God for the candlestick. Thank God for the lampstand. Thank God for the oil of the Holy Ghost that reveals the truth unto us and shows us his word. And then to show you that means the preaching of the gospel, verse 5 says immediately after that, talking about the glorious gospel of, of Christ, the image of God shining unto them, Jesus his word says, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul says, we're preaching Jesus Christ, and that is the light of the gospel. So we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When you see Jesus, you're seeing the glory of God. Woo, hallelujah. Not the hinder part, Brother Moses, uh, but we get to see him face to face. In the face of Jesus Christ is the glory and the fullness of Almighty God himself. This light must never go out. I said it must never go out. Even the priest did not carry a light with him when he performed the sacred duties of the holy place. And neither can we approach God in worship except through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. That's what Jesus himself said. No man can come unto the Father but by me. I am the door. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the light. People call us dogmatic and narrow-minded. Because we believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only thing that can save your soul. And that Jesus is the only way, the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And if Satan had blinded people's minds because they refused to believe this gospel, I'm not going to join up with them. Stand up for what you know is the truth. Don't let your family try to persuade you of anything different. Come on, there's only one way to worship God, and that's in spirit and in truth. And thank God for this gospel truth and for the power of the Holy Ghost that is the oil that lights this lamp. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So our, our worship and our salvation all is centered around Jesus Christ. So we can't even talk about salvation and worship without mentioning all of these things that portray and, and that are patterns and shadows and types and examples of God's plan of salvation and worship in spirit and in truth. Isaiah 49 and 6 
prophesied this and he said it is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth everybody say the light to the Gentiles is his salvation unto the ends of the earth think about that not just to the Jew anymore. Isaiah was prophesying about it way back before Jesus even was manifested in this earth. And he said that he's also going to be a light to the Gentiles. Matthew four sixteen and 17 says, The people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and the shadow of death, light is sprung up. How many is glad you saw this great light and it sprung up in the midst of your dark soul and God gave you the revelation of truth. Remember, revelation doesn't create anything. Revelation only sheds light on what is already there. It's already there. First Peter 2 and 9 says, For you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. And we always get tickled when we say that part because we say we are peculiar. But that word peculiar doesn't mean what you're thinking at all. It doesn't mean odd or weird, even though we may be. If you look that word up in the Greek, the peculiar, and even in the Hebrew, when it was where Peter was quoting it, it means God's purchased possession. It is his private property. That's what he says we are. Aren't you glad you belong to Jesus? Paul emphasized that when he said, we're not our own, but we're bought with a price. Praise the Lord. We're bought with a price. So, why did he make us a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy nation, a peculiar people? As our pastor preached so beautifully last Sunday night on the importance of holiness within and holiness without, of being a separate people, separated unto God, holy unto God. Why is it that he did that? He said that you should show forth, and there's that word just like the showbread, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The whole purpose of being a holy people is so that when people can, when they see you, they can see the marvelous light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people may never pick up this book and read it, but they look at you. And the Bible said we are epistles written of God. Hallelujah. His laws and statutes are not on stone anymore. But the Bible said he has written them on the tables of our heart. And he's given us a heart that to, to follow after him and let his light shine through us. So this brings us to John 9 and 5 where Jesus said these words. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, what happened when he left the world? He didn't leave us without a promise. 
He didn't say, I'm going to take the light out of this world and, you're, and the world's going to be in darkness again. He said, what are you waiting around here on this mountaintop for? Go to Jerusalem and tarry until you be endued with power from on high until you receive the promise of the Father. What promise was he talking about? The pouring out of the Holy Ghost. In the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And when they went back 10 days later, the Bible said while the day of Pentecost was fully come, suddenly there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind that filled the place where they were sitting and there appeared in them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. God was saying, not only am I going to be the oil in the shaft, but I'm going to put the oil in the branches. I'm the vine and you're the branches and the same light, the same oil, the same Spirit that I got, I'm going to put it in you. And that's why it's called Christ in you. Woo, hallelujah. The hope, the hope of glory. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So he says, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But then he turns around Matthew 5 and 14 and says, you are the light of the world. A city is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Now, if you're not in the house, you need to get in the house. <laughs> Woo! Praise God. Let your light so shine, he said, before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. John 15 and 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Without the vine, there'll be no branches. Without the shaft, there'll be no branches. Without the oil, there'll be no light. Do I need to remind you of the ten virgins? <laughs> the five wise and five foolish, they all had oil at one time in their lamps. Because the Bible said the five foolish, their oil, their lamps went out. And they had no oil with them. And so they run to the five wise virgins and said, give us of your oil. Now they all slumbered and slept. But somebody brought, some wise people brought some extra oil with them so that when it came time for the lamps to be trimmed, they would have more oil to pour in and relight the lamps. And I'm telling you, we're seeing a relighting of the lamp or revival in this end time like we're never seen before in our lives. Get ready for it, folks. Listen to me. I'm saying this. I feel prophetically right now that you might as well get ready for this glorious light to shine like it never has before and there to be a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost like we have never seen, a manifestation of power and glory and miracles from God that is coming upon this earth. I want to be right in the middle of it all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When the Holy Ghost starts falling, let it fall on me, God. When the power and the glory shines from heaven, let it shine on me, God. Hallelujah. 
Get ready for it. Get ready for it. That glory of God, that power, that anointing of God. And he said, for without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. So they went back. The Holy Ghost came. God poured out the oil in them. And we, the church, the body of Christ, became the light of the world. Jesus says, as long as I'm in the world. Well, he's not in the world in the physical body anymore, but he has multiplied himself millions of times. How else could he say, the works that I do shall you do, and greater than these shall you do? For I go to the Father. I leave this world, but I will not leave you comfortless. He said, I will come unto you. How many of you knows what the Holy Ghost's name is? One of the names. Comforter. Comforter. I will not leave you comfortless, but I will come. Notice, Jesus was making a claim there. I'm the Holy Ghost. He said, I'm with you now, but I shall be in you. So the Holy Ghost was a third person that's one third part of God. My brain's already messed up trying to think that. Then how could Jesus say, I'm the one that's the comforter and I'm the Holy Ghost and I'm the spirit of truth, which is with you now, shall be in you. And he's speaking of himself. I will come unto you. So if you want to know what happened on the day of Pentecost and what happened Last Sunday when two people received the Holy Ghost and what happened the night you received the Holy Ghost? God Almighty came in to dwell in this sanctuary. This worldly tabernacle was just pointing to a church, a glorious church a body of believers who Jesus himself said, I am the temple of God. He said, you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up again. He he wasn't talking about that, that temple that Solomon had built or the temple that Herod had built or the tabernacle that Moses had built. All of those were types and shadows and patterns. Once Jesus came, we don't need all this anymore. It's beautiful to look at, fun to study. And Brother Pickering, you did such a wonderful job. That must have taken you at least 30 minutes to do all that work. <laughs> it took me 30 years. <laughs> probably. But amazingly, that all was just the shadows and types of what God had planned for the world through his church, through his body. Now the Bible says, know you not that you are the temple of the living God. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost, and the temple must be holy. That's why we, we stress the importance of holiness. So he says, without me, you can do nothing. It's just all lost without him. I mean, he's glad for the light. Amen. Amen. Have, we, have we got time to, to go to the golden altar of incense for a few minutes? It, 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 it's 8 o'clock. Can anybody live another hour without food? Uh, I won't be another hour, I promise. 
No, I better not promise because I don't know what, what, what's liable to happen. The golden altar of incense, if you would put a picture there, they already did it. This is, this is the piece of furniture that was right in the middle of the sanctuary. I'm facing, looking at if I'm the, the priest over here is the candlestick giving me the light to see what I'm doing. Over here's the showbread. And right in the middle was the golden altar. This is different from the brazen altar. Nothing was sacrificed on this altar. No animals were slain on this altar. The only thing had to do with blood on this altar is those four horns that you see in each one in each corner and the priest would take the finger and dip it in the blood of the sacrificial offering that was outside of the sanctuary that was being offered for the, the sins of Israel and he would go and put that blood on the tip of each one of those horns. But mainly what this altar of incense represents. We're going to try to do it as quickly as possible, but look at Exodus 30 verses 1 through 3. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. Of Shedom wood shalt thou make it. We studied that last week. That's acacia wood or a locust. A cubit shall be the length thereof and a cubit the breadth thereof. So it was approximately 18 inches square. And two cubits shall be the height thereof. It was approximately three feet tall. The horns thereof shall be of the same. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. The top thereof, the sides thereof round about, and the horns thereof. And thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. I'm going to be like Paul Harvey, page two. The golden altar was used for burning incense. This represents prayer. Oh, I forgot. We've got a generation don't know who Paul Harvey is. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. The golden altar was used for burning incense was a type, a type of our prayer which twice every day, morning and evening, was offered by the priest after he attended the wick and the oil on the holy lamps. Its horns were also sprinkled with the blood of the sin offering. The incense was burnt on pieces of hot coal. There was a specific formula for making the incense consisted of four different spices. Most of them are not even known to us today. People have tried to guess it, but God told Moses, he said, don't let anybody imitate it. Don't make any of that. Also the anointing oil, don't make any of that. He gave them the formula, but they kept it secret. And he said, you don't use it for your own personal use. Okay. That's why he's a personal savior. <laughs> Well, you can't get to heaven on my experience. You got to get there on yours. Somebody said, oh, pray for me. Well, you need to pray for yourself too <laughs> because uh, uh, your incense and my incense ain't gonna do it. We, I can't get to heaven for you. I can't pray in behalf of you. You got to take your prayers before the Lord. So the incense was burned on pieces of hot coal, which the priest removed in a censer or a fire pan from the altar burnt offering 
Out here, he would, he would take this fire pan, and, and Brother Pickering's got a little shovel here, and they'd dig down in those coals, and they'd put that in the fire pan, and he would carry that in there, those coals. And you can see the, the fire pan down here. And this is what they mixed the incense in, that formula. And they put the coals in here and laid the incense on top of the coals and put this upon the altar. And the smoke ascended up in front of the veil that separated them from the Holy of Holies. Aren't you glad that veil's not there anymore? Oh, hallelujah. I've been wanting to get into that Holy of Holies for four weeks now, and I keep, keep jumping ahead of myself trying to get in there. I'm on, we're going to get there before you eat, eat your hamburger tonight somehow. A censer was apparently a shallow bowl or pan with a handle on it. And the golden altar speaks to us of the worship of Jesus Christ. God's people through him as our high priest and our mediator. It was only on the basis of his one sacrifice on the altar of the cross that worship is made possible. If it hadn't have been for that, we couldn't have a house of worship. There would be nothing to worship. The coals which lit the incense was carried from the altar of sacrifice and what does the Bible speak about sacrifice? Offer up the sacrifice of praise. The altar of sacrifice, as you remember when we were talking about that brazen altar, was where part of our worship of sacrifice or giving or dying out to the flesh. Fasting. Some of you got a little taste of the altar this week. <laughs> the old flesh doesn't enjoy it, does it? No. Anybody says, I love this, there's something wrong with you. Amen. I'm telling you. I'm having a lean right now. <laughs> but the golden altar, when it says that that altar of incense took the coals and lit the incense and brought it to the altar of incense, the altar of incense represents praise and prayer. The altar of sacrifice represents praise and worship. The golden altar of incense tells us of the ministry of Jesus as our intercessor whose prayers never stop ascending to God on our behalf. Hear me now. Jesus said to Peter, Satan had desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. And not if you're converted. And when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. Hallelujah. Oh, church, do you realize that our ministry tonight is to strengthen one another, to edify one another, to build up one another, to encourage one another. And we do it through prayer for one another. And praising and worshiping with one another. That's why it's so important. Pastor's been putting a lot of emphasis on this lately, of being here, being present, being present. You may have the best excuse in the world, but it still doesn't justify what you lost by not being there in that service. Something that you can't get across a, a tube. There's something about being right there in the presence with other people. 
I can reach out and touch one of them and feel the Holy Ghost run through me because we're all part of those branches connected to the vine. So the incense tells us of that prayer ministry, the intercessory ministry. Jesus said, I've prayed for you. The four horns that you see represent the four corners of the earth, the north, the south, the east, and the west, because this gospel message and our prayers reach the whole world. Can you say amen? It's powerful. He will always pray for his own no matter where they are. He can intercede on our behalf because of the atoning work on the cross of Calvary. The incense was fueled by the fire from the altar. It is not just anyone praying for us, but the king himself, as represented by the crown of gold around the, the top of that altar. He knows our weaknesses and our failings, and he is praying for us always. David put it like this in Psalm 141 and 2, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Here we are, priesthood. We're coming into the tabernacle. We're coming into the sanctuary and we're entering into this place and we're waving the censer and the, the room is being filled with the prayers. Come on, and the prayers of the saints. That's why it's so important to get back there in that prayer room before service to get that incense. Before we enter into the Holy of Holies, the last thing to go through was the incense. We've got to get our prayer life back together like it ought to be and let the smoke of the incense of God's presence and the prayers of the saints prepare us to enter into the holy of holies let my prayer be as incense the lifting up my hands as the evening sacrifice wherefore he is able also to save them this is Hebrews 7 and 25 to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Isn't it awesome? I love, one of my favorite groups of scriptures is in Romans, the eighth chapter. It said, when we don't even know what to pray for as we ought, that the spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. For he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit. For he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You see, when you receive that oil of the Holy Ghost, you got Jesus Christ inside of you, our high priest, and his incense is coming up inside your soul through prayers. And sometimes it comes out utterances, that uh, words that cannot even be uttered, and speaking in other tongues. We don't even know what to pray for, but the spirit maketh intercession with groanings which cannot be uttered and he knows and he's praying for our for our needs think about it and as we pray to one another as or with one another to God that comes together as a priesthood waving the censer and the smoke comes up before God I, I've, got, I've got Bible for that so watch with me Hebrews 13 and 15 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Don't let the fire go out. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks 
to his name. Now watch this, Revelation 5 and 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now they told me I had to stay right in this certain little area because nobody's manning the cameras. And if I get carried away, I'm going to step out of the picture. <laughs> I can't help it tonight. I got to step out of the picture for just a minute. Think about what that scripture says. That incense, which is the prayers of the saints when the saints begin to pray for the Lord to have his way something magnificent begins to take place we become in the place of the priest now every one of you are a priest in the royal priesthood the holy nation the peculiar people and every one of us God has given a censer to wave it in the house of God to wave it in your own house praise God to fill the room with the prayers and the praise and the worship of God he actually says it's going to happen up there they're the prayers of the saints. I'm going to tell you, that, mean, that lets me know, and I, if I'm wrong, some of you elders help me get straight, but the way I see it, I don't care how long ago it was when old-fashioned saints of God was in prayer rooms, it might have been 200 years ago, and they've been long gone, but their prayers have never died out. Today, we are seeing prayers answered by saints that have been in the grave for 30, 40, 50, 70 years. You hear me tonight. I believe that, that there were some prayers made by these old-time saints of God that have uh, been, many of them, forgotten. But God never forgot their prayers uh, because in heaven, uh, there's the elders around the throne and they're holding up the bowls of censer, which is the prayers of the saints. And that sweet fragrance that God smells. Ooh. Incense. Hallelujah. Makes me want to pray right now. <laughs> I'm going to send up a sweet smelling savor unto the Lord of praise, of worship, of prayer. Revelation 8 and 3, and another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. See the similitude? And there was given unto him much incense. Everybody say a lot of it. A lot of prayers going up. That he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Don't ever let the devil tell you that your prayers aren't powerful and that they aren't effective. 
Don't you let the devil tell you that. He's a liar. I mean, you can't even say the name of Jesus without all of heaven standing at attention. Amen. Angels pop up at attention when we mention that name. This is probably going to be my shortest part of this lesson. And it's probably the most important part. Well, I don't know that. It's our goal, let's put it that way. It's our end game. You can't win the game in the last five seconds. You had to play good the whole game. But sometimes the last five minutes or so gets all the glory because that's when the one, the win took place. Our, our goal is to make heaven. As our salvation type, when we enter, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible said the veil of the temple was ripped in twain, torn in twain from top to bottom, thus opening the door, opening the way forever into the Holy of Holies. So we got repented out here, got baptized, worshiped, read the Word of God, got studied in the Word. And went into the Holy of Holies, God's presence. Now, remember, there's no candlestick in here. But when you walk through that veil, put, put the uh, Holy of Holies up there, if you would, please. The picture of the Ark of the Covenant. This represented the presence of God in the Old Testament. Inside this Ark, there was the stones that the Ten Commandments were written on. There was the pot of manna that was preserved from when the children of Israel ate for 40 years of it. And there was the budding rod of Aaron representing life from death. When we get in that Holy of Holies, salvation-wise, it represents God's Spirit coming in because now in this completely, totally dark room, how can the priest sprinkle the blood of the atonement on the ark when he can't even see the ark? How can he put, how can he do the service of waving the incense over that ark of the covenant when he can't even see where it is? But it was in that place that the Shekinah glory of God would come down and light that place up. The same light that was a pillar of fire to them by night and showed them which way to go and a pillar of cloud by day, that same presence of God, the light that came to this world lit up that room and that high priest made an atonement for our sins. And all it did, because it was the blood of bulls and goats, was push the sins up for another year until the next year on the Day of Atonement. And it went all through it again. But they never got remitted until God looked down at it and said, I'm tired of the blood of bulls and goats. I'm tired of the sins that just get pushed away and pushed back and pushed back and swept under the rug. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make myself a lamb. Ooh, hallelujah. 
The problem was uh, when he searched through heaven, there was not a spotless lamb. There was nothing, anything. He had to, he had to make himself. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And he became the lamb of God. Is it such a hard thing to envision that Jesus was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? He said, I'm come in my Father's name. When Philip said, show us the Father, Jesus said, have I been so long time with you and you know me not? You see me, you see the Father. We know he's the Son we know now he's the Holy Ghost because he said, if I destroy this temple, three days I'll raise it up. But the Bible said, if the spirit of God that raised up Christ from the dead quicken your mortal bodies, that same spirit, if it's in you, will quicken your bodies. So Jesus died, buried, and was resurrected. He was God as Father in our creation. He was God as, our son, as the Son of God and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. And he has a name. The name of Jesus. Understanding that, you say, that's too hard to fathom. Well, then you're going to have a rough time with this one. Because here's the revelation of all this. The fullness of the Godhead is in him bodily. He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He is one God. He fulfilled the office of the high priest. He was also the lamb, the sacrificial offering, and he was the God who took away the sins of the world. John saw him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. The sacrifice the lamb, the high priest, and the God that forgave and remitted. He shed his blood, he presented his blood, and he received his blood. <laughs> As a son of God, he shed his blood. As the high priest, he presented his blood. And as almighty God, he received the blood. And then he gave the authority to the man of God that everybody you baptize in that name, you're going to apply the blood. Hallelujah. He's the tabernacle or the temple. He's the high priest of the tabernacle. He's the sacrifice. He's the bread. He's the light. He's the labor. He's the prayer. He's the oil. Come on, it's all in him. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in him bodily. And you're complete in him. The reason I said this is going to be my shortest study on, on the, all these parts is because uh, I'm just going to read to you from Hebrews 9 and 15. Then verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly or earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, 
the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. And then Paul says something here, which is why I'm going to cut this very short, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Some things are just too holy to talk about. And if the writer of most of the New Testament said, I can't speak to you about these particular things. Suffice it to say that that represented the presence of Almighty God. The Jews will not even write his name fully out because they feel it is so reverent and so holy. There are some things with these carnal lips of flesh and tongue of clay that we cannot do justice for by trying to explain them. We could spend three more weeks on just this Ark of the Covenant and what all it represents, but suffice it to say it represents God. It represents God, his presence, his fullness, his glory, and it's all wrapped up bodily in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. He, he went on to say, but into this second veil went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying, everybody say the Holy Ghost is signifying this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. That's why as glorious and beautiful and wonderful it is to study all this, as long as this was standing, the real McCoy couldn't come. Nobody could go into that holy of holies but the high priest only once a year and then it just pushed sins up year by year. But then when the veil was rent <laughs> and the high priest that hung on the cross of Calvary shed his blood, now we've got blood that will wash sins away. Come on, hallelujah, hallelujah. So I'm glad that tabernacle's gone because it was only a shadow of better things to come. Let me finish reading just a few more verses, which was a figure or a shadow or a pattern for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices, which could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, somebody say praise the Lord, not made with hands, that is to say not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once 
into the holy place. He doesn't have to go back every year. But he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Look over at your neighbor and say, Jesus redeemed you with his precious blood. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Stand with me tonight. Praise God. The musicians will come. We're going to sing a chorus that we haven't sung here in a long time. Many of you probably won't even know it unless you're over 50 or 60. And that's quite a few of you, by the way. But Sister Whitney knows it, and she's got it ready to play some music, and we're going to sing it. And I want you to think about the words of this song we're going to sing. And if these words of this song can become a prayer of incense to be offered up unto the Lord, I'd like for you, you don't all have to come at once, but as you feel the beckoning of God's Spirit, walk out of your pew, down the aisle, and up toward this altar. And let this song become a prayer unto the Lord. Wave that incense before him. Get in the Holy Ghost and let the Spirit of God make you the temple of God in His Spirit.